0: There's nothing quite like sleeping during a rainstorm with the pitter-patter of droplets falling on all the different surfaces, the swoosh of the wind, the calm thunder. It's like one beautiful divine lullaby singing you to sleep. That is, unless you're sleeping in a sukkah. (laughs) And if you're sleeping in a sukkah, rain looks a little different. If you're sleeping in the sukkah, you are sleeping, listening to the crickets and the wind and the leaves rustling in the trees, and suddenly there are droplets falling on your face, and suddenly you're sitting up in bed saying, honey, it's raining, we've got to move, we got to go, and you're grabbing your blankets, and you're grabbing your pillows, and you're grabbing the bedding, and you're grabbing the mattress, and you're throwing it all, and we live up upstairs, so our sukkah's on the roof, you're throwing it down the stairs into the house, and then you're running back for the alarm clock, which rolled underneath the couch cushions, and then you're running back to get your book, and you're getting everything inside not quite as calm or as beautiful or as peaceful so our practice is to sleep in the sukkah and as we were dashing inside this week during a rainstorm uh, we looked at each other and we're like why do we do this (laughs) why And Solomon says, like, isn't there something, I mean, rabbi, he says to me, isn't there something in the Torah about the Israelites like living in Sukkot when they got out of Egypt? I was like, yeah, did they? Did they really live in Sukkot? I kind of feel like our ancestors, after they got out of Egypt, would have been like, wouldn't they have had some outdoors classes? Wouldn't they have built up some, like, who wants to get wet? So I went and looked and pulled out a concordance And if you go through, a concordance lists every time a word appears in the Bible. So if you go through and you look, the word sukkah appears 31 times in the Torah. And it appears in sort of three categories of places. One category, it appears, is agriculturally, that our ancestors would build Uh, an agricultural shelter at the sides of their fields while they were out farming to protect them from the sun. And we saw that usage just recently in the high holidays with Jonah where he, uh, you know, finishes his prophetic mission and he goes and God creates this beautiful shelter that appears above him and protects him from the sun. It's not like a house. It's not a place to sleep or to eat, but it's it's a a lovely shelter of protection. And there is uh, instruction that repeats itself over and over and over again, that you should celebrate Sukkot and build booths and dwell in those booths and that instruction the reasoning for that comes in Leviticus 23 you're gonna dwell you're gonna create these booths you're gonna dwell in these booths in order to know for all of the generations everyone should know that I caused your ancestors to live in booths after they came out of Egypt. The only problem is they didn't. Our ancestors never lived in booths and so I was just going on this kick of looking at sukkots, where are sukkot, do they appear, how do they appear, and um, there are so many instances of places you would think there should be a sukkah, that there's not a sukkah. Um, and if you want to go down this rabbit hole, Rabbi Lord Jonathan Sachs has an amazing lecture. Amazing lecture all about um, the reasoning behind the sukkah. And he points out every instance that you think there's going to be a sukkah, it's not a sukkah, it's an actual home. Uh, for instance, when Vilam uh, the prophet was, uh, when uh, the king wanted to get Bil-Am to to curse the Israelites, he goes and he looks out over the Israelite dwelling place, right? They've just gotten out of Egypt, they're in the desert. He looks out over them and he says, "Matovu Halacha <laughs> Yaakov, how goodly are your tents." They knew about protecting against the rain. So this is all one long-winded way of saying, if our ancestors never actually lived in Sukkot, why do we get wet now? So in 2016, There was a study published in Psychological Science. And there were, thank you. uh, There were two scientists, Pia Dietz and Eric Knowles, who wanted to explore the relationship between vulnerability, between our experiences in the world and what we saw. So they enrolled a whole bunch of study participants and they gave them all Google glasses that would track the movements of their eyes. And they were careful to enroll participants who were very well-resourced and very under-resourced. Why? Well, financial stability is one measure of vulnerability, right? Think about it. If you're very well-resourced, you're somewhat immune to the challenges of the world. If there's a hurricane, you can fly out of there. If your home gets damaged, you might have another place to live. If your car breaks down, you have the ability to fix it. You are protected in some ways. But if you're financially unstable, then you are very vulnerable to what is happening in the world. If there's a hurricane, you might not be able to get out. If your home is damaged, you might not be able to move to a different place. If your car breaks down, you might not be able to afford to fix it. You are very vulnerable to what happens to you in the world. And what they found in this experience, experiment was just so interesting. People who walked down the street, who were very financially stable, almost didn't look around. They focused straight ahead and kept walking. But people who were financially under-resourced, financially vulnerable, looked everywhere, looked at everything, noticed everything on that street. This is just so interesting. The people who are least vulnerable see the least, and the people who are most vulnerable see the most. That's true in this experiment, and that's true in our lives as well. We've all experienced this. I was recently speaking with a friend who shared a story with me that before her children were born, when she would go to baby naming celebrations or she would see moms pushing their babies in strollers in the park, she would walk right up and say, Oh, what an adorable baby, so cute, so sweet, oh. But after her children were born, she felt a little differently. She remembered that vulnerability. She remembered what it felt like to go out into the world feeling raw and physically beat. And she remembered what it felt like to have all these people just noticing her baby and not actually seeing her. And so now, whenever she goes to a baby naming or whenever she sees a parent in a park with an infant, she looks right at them and says, how are you? How are you holding up? Right? This happens with us in all different situations. I had a friend who for a while needed to be in a wheelchair. She was recovering from a, a, an injury and had a leg and a cast. And all of a sudden she started to notice all of the different places that were accessible and inaccessible. And all of a sudden she became a very vocal advocate for accessibility in public spaces because suddenly she saw all of these street corners and places where if you're in a wheelchair, you just can't access places. There are very real ways in which our own vulnerability opens our eyes to the world around us in a different way. And so I have a theory. I wonder if maybe the instruction to live in Sukkot, to sleep in Sukkot, to eat our meals in Sukkot during this time of year wasn't necessarily because that's what our ancestors did but because that's what our ancestors aspired to. They aspired to put themselves in places where they could open their eyes and truly see. I wonder if maybe our rabbis thought, you know, after the high holidays, after we've reflected on our lives and reflected on the ways in which a single moment can transform everything, we might come out and say, you know what, I'm going to be strong, I'm going to be impervious, I'm never going to be weak, I'm never going to be vulnerable again, but no the teaching of our rabbis, the teaching of Sukkot, is that our mission in life is to live in a sukkah, sheltered but exposed, open and embracing our vulnerabilities, all while working to build a strong year together. Shabbat shalom.